Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Nathan Lighthizer about the treatment and management of Shalazians. And we talked about uh, all the paradigms from conservative therapy and medical therapy to IPL to injection to surgical removal. And so it was a lot of fun to pick his brain. It's a really uh, pithy conversation. So you can consume it pretty quickly and you can think through uh, how Dr. Lighthizer approaches his Shalazians. So please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. So today I want to talk about the Mind A Multifocal for just a second. It has been a really great thing in our practice for our patients who are presbyopes of all areas, but you know those tricky presbyopes are always the ones that are kind of emerging where they don't want to give up any of their faraway vision, but they're having some struggles up close. And so what uh, the Mind A Multifocal has been able to do for us is to allow those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. And then as we have those patients progress into other levels where they need more ad powers it's been a nice smooth transition so the ultimate hurdle that we've seen in our practice before the my day multifocal was that we'd have patients who would resist any transition to a multifocal lens because of that distance blur we just haven't seen that so if you haven't started using my day multifocal in your practice I would encourage you to start, check it out, uh, contact, reach out to your Cooper reps for those trial lenses uh, and commit to My Day Multifocal for your patients. I think they're going to like it. If you haven't checked out MacuHealth yet for your patients in Category 1 through Category 4, I think there's a lot of evidence that you should be considering. The first is if we just look at AREDS 2 and what they, they talk about, MacuHealth is a, so for patients in Category 3 and Category 4 um, AMD, MacuHealth is a great option for them that follows that entire, um, that entire protocol, and it also adds mesozeaxanthine to the mix, which if you look at some of the evidence, I believe shows me that it's going to thicken the macular pigment better than without mesozeaxanthine. It also uses the a correct AREDS2 dose of zinc uh, at 25 milligrams, and so you don't have to worry so much about the potential side effects of zinc. The other thing to, to think about, and it's beyond the scope of this, although you've probably heard me talk on other podcasts, is that in patients in category one and two, there may be some additional benefit uh, to supplementing them with something that may be a little bit less than the AREDS2, so you don't have to add as much to it. And that's where I use the MacuHealth LMZ3. And so I think if you haven't done this yet, I'd consider MacuHealth in your practice and for your patients. And it's been great for my patients, and, um, and we really feel like we have the ability to uh, help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. I think it's a lot of fun to be able to kind of pick your brain as somebody that's in this every single day. It's been a lot of years since I've done some of these things. So uh, to just sort of think about where you position different things from a surgical standpoint. So uh, thanks, Dr. Nate Lighthizer, for being on today. Um, what I was hoping that you could kind of give us an overview of was your perspective on Shalazian treatments. So where do you see, you know, position medications versus uh, injections versus incision and curatage versus IPL? So I guess we can go kind of down that uh, and then we can uh, pick your brain on any of your other thoughts. So when I'm dealing with Shalazian patients, you know, the exact way I phrase it to them is I say, we have about four different roads that we can go down, four different paths or options that we have. Quite often when they come to me in specialty care clinic, which is our referral clinic, where we deal with a lot of this, 
they've already tried what I call road number one or option number one. They've been on warm compresses. They've maybe tried a medication like doxycycline or something like that. So they tried our conservative option number one, which is what many patients uh, would want to choose. It's what I would want to choose as well. However, you know, are they doing the warm compresses? And I can speak from experience on this is I had a small little chalazion pop up on my right upper lid. It's actually a little hordeolum. I treated myself with an oral antibiotic. And then a couple of weeks later, again, the bump uh, is now non-painful, uh, but I have a small chalazion. This was back in 2018. And I brought home my, my, my warm compress mask. And I'm like, all right, this is fresh. That should give me the, the highest chance of success because it's early on. And I used the mask one time. One time over the course of a month, every night I looked at it, I went, nah, I'm too busy to sit here for 10 minutes, uh, you know, to do this. I don't want to do this. So road number one is really dependent on are our patients going to do the warm compresses. The literature says success rate for conservative therapy is anywhere from 50 to 75%. But that depends on do they do it? How big is the Shalazian? How long has it been there? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's a nice option, number one, but it's not a great option for everybody. So I then discuss, okay, we've got a little injection that we can do a little, just small little needle, put a little steroid medicine within that bump that you have on your eyelid. Um, that has traditionally been the second option that we can go to and then just cut it out, which we'll discuss in just a second incision and curatage as road number three. IPL is obviously has emerged in the last five years as a treatment option for ocular rosacea, meibomian gland dysfunction, dry eye, et cetera, et cetera. And a gal named Dr. Laura Perriman has really pioneered the use of IPL, intense pulse light therapy for Shalazian. So I now call it road number two or option number two. So we've got warm compresses, we've got IPL, we've got Kenalog injections, and we've got Shalazian incision and curatage. And just to give you the answer of what cured my Shalazian, it obviously wasn't the warm compresses. Um, we, I, I started in July and then I got traveling in August and September and I didn't want to go with a big bolus of steroid in my, in my eyelid. I, it, you know, while I was traveling, I didn't want to be bruised up with incision and curatage in early October, we got our, of 2018, we got our first IPL unit, Dr. Joseph Shetler and I just were playing around with it. We were just demoing it, just treating each other, kind of giving and within two weeks of my playing around treatment, Dr. Shet, we didn't even treat on my Shalazian, but we treated the eyelids, the lower eyelids, tragus to tragus. Within two weeks, my Shalazian was gone. Coincidence? I don't know. I'd been there for three months. And then within 10 to 14 days after an IPL treatment, my small Shalazian was gone. So to make a long story short, IPL is now an attractive option for Shalazian as well. And I call it road number two. So when we go down road number two, because again, I think this is this is still pretty emerging. I know Laura's done a lot of work and talked a lot about this, but the questions remain, and I have these questions too when I use IPL for patients with Shalazian is one, obviously I tell them it's off label. Two, uh, I I sort of hedge my bet quite a bit. I'm I'm kind of telling them like, you know, maybe this helps prevent an injection or surgery as you're doing. What's your thoughts on uh on how how often you'd expect your case to be the case for our patients and like what what sort of uh frequency you think you're going to have to treat them is it a one and done what are your thoughts on that yep 
Yeah. So for all the options, I tell them none of these have a 100% success rate. And I go through the stats, which I just gave you for warm compresses and, and medication. And I tell them, I, I don't really have a stat yet because we don't have enough information yet to say this works 70% of the time, 80% of the time based on the literature. In my clinical experience, it's about maybe two out of three, you know, has a success with it. But again, it depends on how big is the Shalazian. I had a gentleman this week had been there for a year and it was a whopper of a Shalazian. Well, IPL probably not going to get that all by itself. So I tell him it's got a reasonable chance, but it depends on how long it's been there, how big it is, et cetera, et cetera. So, and it may not take one treatment. Typically I'm treating them at least two times. Uh, mine was a rare case that were, it happened in one, but it was a pretty small Shalazian. But I usually am giving them a couple of treatments. I'll treat you today. And then I'm going to bring you back in a couple of weeks, in two weeks from now, and we, we're going to take a look at it. Did that help improve some things? But do expect two or even maybe three treatments for the Shalazian. And I do tragus to tragus, and I go directly on the eyelids right over the Shalazian as well. So the standard tragus to tragus, but I give it a, a two passes of three pulses right on the Shalazian as well. So you're using, you're essentially using the same treatments that we would use for meibomian gland dysfunction, tragus to tragus, and then on top of that, uh, over that Shalazian. So if what I've been doing is uh, not doing tragus to tragus on those patients and just yep. doing right over the, uh, right over the, the Shalazian itself, and, and I'll treat the other uh, upper and lower lids specifically, uh, and just avoiding tragus to tragus. But again, these are things that are interesting to talk through clinically because we don't know the answer. Right, we don't have something to tell us this is the best way to do it. We're still um, figuring it out, aren't we? We're still figuring yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah, that's the fun part. So let me ask you then: Do you, off the top of your head, I wouldn't know my answer. I'm just using my normal Fitzpatrick scales. I'm not increasing uh, power or decreasing power when I'm when I'm treating a Shalazian. I would just Fitzpatrick the patient, patient, and then use uh, use those guides. Is that what you're doing as well? That is exactly what I'm doing uh, based on their skin typing, um, and I. I will up it if they can tolerate it just a bit, um, and it's not contraindicated due to skin skin pigmentation. But I start on just the standard, you know, Fitzpatrick skin typing. Okay, great. So then let's move on to to injections. What's your thoughts about injections? And and uh, you know, our patients are your patients. Usually, by the time you know, in Nebraska, when we send a patient for a Shalazian for removal, I mean, this is the downside, obviously, with scope of practice limitations, is patients that are great candidates for injections the surgeons aren't going to mess like they're like look we're going to get it done we're just going to cut it out you know mm -hmm. they're, they're not going to typically mess with an injection uh the only time i see that happen with the surgeons we use are if it's a recurrent chalazia then they'll be a little bit more conservative they might inject it another time maybe inject it a third time and then they might biopsy it after that right of course when, when we're talking to legislators then if, then ophthalmology always biopsies these and it, and, and optometry never does and and how dangerous it's going to be to first sebaceous cell carcinoma. Of course, you and I know that's not the reality of what happens. They'll cut, and I've seen I've seen oculoplastics guys cut and cut and cut and cut, and then finally biopsy three or four times on the road. The point is, is that's sort of where where I see is that they're they're just skipping the intermediary step of of injections here. Are you doing the same thing, or uh, or do you get enough success once you've gotten to that point where it's worth injection injecting? 
you know, so it's it's interesting perspective on that. Um, the the procedural difficulty um, is is fairly straightforward for a Kenalog injection. I mean, it, it's very quick. I mean, it's right there. I do it in the exam room. So when I was getting my 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 feet wet with it, with procedures back right during my residency and shortly thereafter, I leaned more heavily on a Kenalog injection just because. You know, there's when we're doing a Schlesian incision and curatage, there's just a little bit more going on than a standard skin tag removal. You know, I always tell people when you're starting these oh, procedural techniques, choose your patients wisely. You're well qualified to do all of these, but an ophthalmologist didn't jump in on their first cataract surgery and make it likely a complicated one. And a patient that's been on Flomax that has pseudo exfoliation and a deep set brow, you choose your for early patients wisely your early procedural techniques, I probably wouldn't make a Shalazian incision and curatage your first one. You know, get some skin tags and some lesion removals under your belt. And it's kind of my opinion, you should get a couple of Kenalog injections under your belt first. So I leaned a little bit more heavily just due to the efficiency and the ease of the injection in the early few years of my career. Now, for one reason or whatever, you know, I probably do more Shalazian incision and curatage uh, with that as well. Uh, and that's probably just due to experience, but I'm a big fan of Kenalog injections. I think it would be very beneficial patient care wise. If optometrists could do that very quick intermediary step, as you said, of a Kenalog injection of triamcinolone injection into that Shalazian, the literature shows Kenalog injections have between a 70 and 85% success rate. And that's the literature. I, I looked at seven studies over the course of the last 10, 20 years, and they all are between 70 and 85, 90%. So when I talk to patients about Kenalog injections, I let them know a couple of things. Number one, this works in about 75 to 80% of patients. So three out of four or four out of five. So you understand that it doesn't work in everybody. You just highlighted that you have surgeons that do incision and curatage and have to do multiple of them. Well, it didn't work the first time if they had to do multiple of them. So every treatment option that we have, there's not a 100% success rate. So I tell them that. And I also let them know you may need two injections. Expect two injections because the literature and my clinical experience follows this, that it may not take one. Again, it depends on the size. It depends on how long it's been there, et cetera, et cetera. But I want you to expect two injections. You're going to have one today. And I'm going to bring you back a month from now, four weeks from now for your second injection. So expect two. Now, in reality, only about one out of three patients needs the second injection. But if I tell three patients they're going to need two injections and only one needs it, the one that needed it was expecting it. And the other two are thrilled when they come in, go, Doc, you did such a great job that this resolved <laughs> in one injection. So I tell them they're going to have two. And I tell them the success rate's about 75 to 80%. So it's a nice treatment option, but you do have to factor in the contraindications like skin pigmentation. I don't yeah. tend to do this in, in darkly pigmented individuals. You know, Fitzpatrick skin types five and six on that scale, African-Americans, just due to the risk of depigmentation. One of the challenging things with patients is when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and and customized lenses, it can be challenging to keep those lenses clean, keep them scratch free, smudge free. And so we now have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients the best in class anti-reflective coating in a way that is really high resistance so that they're not uh, having to care for their lenses as much as when those lenses are caring for them. So remember that you can provide patients that 
that best in quality, best in class transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com slash Crizal. You know, I get questions all the time about how do we use 9.2 codes and 9.9 codes and which ICD codes go with different CPT codes and what can be built together and what can't. And this confusion, this uncertainty really holds us back oftentimes to be able to do what we want to do, which is help our patients see clearly and provide their best opportunity for a lifelong vision. And so we built iCode Education for that specific purpose. Uh, we have lots of resources that are based in helping you understand disease states, helping you understand revenue cycles and building encoding practices. So check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. And we have a specific uh, bundle there for you. You if you'd like to take advantage of it, it's the premier billing and coding bundle. We've got a 10% discount code just for listeners of this show. Uh, you can just in the coupon code at checkout, you can enter in iCode Media 22. That's E Y E C O D E M E D I A 22 at checkout. We'd love to have you. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. You know, I, re I can't remember if uh, I, I know. I can't remember if it was standard for us at the time. I don't think it was when, when I was learning from Dr. Welch uh, after we would do a Shalazian removal. And I know we didn't do this with uh, when I was with Jason Ellen, um, but are you, are you after a Shalazian removal, just doing a, a little bit of a catenalog injection right away just to reduce inflammation along with your uh, oral antibiotics? Or are you just avoiding that altogether? Once you've cut it out, you're fine. I would say I do that about 20% of the time. It just depends. So it's not my standard to inject a uh, steroid after a Shalazian INC. That being said, the most recent one that I did last week, I did that just because it was so big and it was, there was so thick um, that I just put a little steroid medicine in there to minimize inflammation and just help to dissolve any remaining capsule, things like that. So it's not my standard. But on my, what I lecture on it, I always say plus minus, or you can, it's not required, but you can put a little <laughs> steroid in there after an INC. All right. So then, um, you know, the, the, just kind of thinking about my experiences with, I mean, again, this was, I mean, now probably 15 years ago was my, my last one, 14 and a half years ago with, with Jason Ellen. And I remember, uh, I remember, you know, the very first time uh, and every single time that, I wind up getting in there. I never had a really like uh, one that had just nice fluid kind of gushy pus. Most of them, once you get in, it's almost like you, you make your incision and you can feel it sort of grind. It's like gritty, almost like sand. And then, then the, the curatage obviously is that same sort of sensation. Is that all of them when your experience is that most of them feel like that, or do you get to them fresh enough where, um, where it, it has kind of a, a nice ooze once it comes out and it's sort of easy to, to scrape out. You, you just said it. Did you get to it soon enough? It's all about how soon did you get to it? My first one, um, I was lucky and fortunate. It had only been there for about six weeks. I, I always show this video first when I'm educating ODs across the country. And I say, this is nothing that I did, but this is what you hope happens when you do your first one. So it's not because of my procedural technique. We just touched just made the incision and it oozed cheesy stuff. That's what you hope happens when you make your incision into a Shalazian. Now you know it's been there likely fresh. Or it hasn't been there as long. And your job is going to be a little bit easier when it's just oozing cheesy stuff 
versus other scenarios when I've made an incision and it just feels tough, that sandy, that gritty, and that capsule is just super thick. I always, I always draw a diagram when I'm educating the doctors going, okay, your shalazine that's been there for six weeks, it's got a thin capsule with a bunch of cheesy stuff in the middle. Your shalazine that's been there six to 12 months now has a super thick capsule with less cheesy stuff. And now you're going to have to excise because that capsule is not going to drain like the, like the, the cheesy stuff. So it all depends on how it's been there. I would say more often than not, it, um, it starts with a little cheesy stuff, but you can still feel the thickness, the grittiness of that capsule. And that's why my standard now is to make the incision vertical followed by a horizontal incision. Mm -hmm. And now you have four flaps and go snip, 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 snip. And we're basically excising the anterior face of that capsule. And then we'll use the curette to scrape, scrape the rest of it. So it, everyone is a little bit different. Uh, I'll tell you, Chris, I had one in May. We made an incision. I had never seen this before. We made an incision, and I kid you not, a metallic foreign body mm. popped out when we put our curette in there. Uh, the guy had a piece of metal with an Ischalazian. So everyone is a bit different. Yeah. You know, so the last parting thoughts I have, and then I want to kind of listen to your last thoughts, is every time I see an internal horteolum or Ischalazian, when I talk to patients about that, um, I am always under the assumption that they have a larger problem, no matter what their age is, about my bone being gland dysfunction. Am I being too aggressive there or am I right on? You are right on. And we'll go back to a previous point. Why do I treat tragus to tragus when considering IPL? Because I'm like, if you've got a shalazian there, I know you're my bomian glands. Uh, there's an issue there. You know, there we're, we're not functioning like we normally goods are. So yeah, I'm going to treat the shalazian by one of the means that we talked about. But if we decide to make IPL part of the treatment, um, I'm not going to treat just on there on the shalazian. I'm going to go tragus to tragus and start basically the therapeutic approach to IPL for those meibomian glands. So I 100% agree with you that we treat the shalazian, but you know, your doctor takes out a tooth that became infected or some, you've probably got other issues going on as well. And so I give them that analogy and I say, Hey, just be, we've got one plugged gland. We need, we want to prevent this from happening. And most patients go, yeah, I don't want this to happen again, doc. That's the importance of warm compresses, maybe fish oil, maybe an IPL treatment, whatever it is. Um, but so I completely agree. All right. Well, that makes me feel good. Any other party thoughts? No, I just encourage uh, encourage ODs uh, to continue to, to to push forward with scope expansion. You know, be members of your state association, and we've got lots of options for our Shalazian patients. We covered, you know, warm compress medication. That's the conservative therapy, IPL, Kenalog injection, incision and curatage. You know, you learn all the time. We are we're putting together. Um, you may know we have a book called the Ophthalmic Laser Handbook. It's a we are just in the process. We're right in the middle of our next book, the Ophthalmic Office Procedures Handbook. So there's going to be a wonderful resource for everything that we can do for in-office procedures from punctal plugs and lid debridement to anti-VEGF injections. My point on this is, is I'm working on the Shalazian chapter and Leo Scorin, you may know Leo Scorin, he's an ODDO. He yep. gave me a couple of videos for that. I have some of my videos. And I learned a procedural technique from him. You, he uses a little circular trephine when mm. incising. He flips the lid. So instead of the, the blade to go vertical and horizontal, it's a little, it's almost like a punch biopsy yeah. 
where he's got a perfectly circular incision. So you'll, you continually learn and it's a fun process. Um, so jump in. We've got lots of treatment options for our Shalazian patients these days. Awesome. So I want to, I'll, I'll pl- put another plug in. So there's probably a place that you can get those books. If you guys are, are listening, uh, Nate, share the, the link with us and I'll share it within the show notes. Also, if you have not had the pleasure of learning from Nate, from uh, local CE that's coming to your state association or uh, online virtual CE that is available through Northeastern State University, Oklahoma College of Optometry. I'll put that link in there as well. Um, there's a ton of really great, you know, lump and bump uh, courses that you can take. Also, we've talked about Shalazian, SLT, ALT, PIs. We've got all of them uh, housed underneath there. So check them out. And uh, Nate, thanks for doing this again, man. Appreciate it, buddy. I always enjoy it.